This is a show for missionary disciples who worship Christ in the Eucharist and serve Him and their neighbor, for whom the words of the Creed reverberate through their daily activity. This is a show for those like you and me who make the conscious choice to follow Christ outside the walls. Well, tomorrow is Palm Sunday. It's the, the first Sunday, the, the launching of Holy Week, as we enter into this densely, probably the most densely packed liturgical celebration of the church year. Uh, there are opportunities, so many opportunities for us to, to come and encounter the Lord Jesus Christ uh, in this, this remembrance, this story of the Paschal Mystery as it unfolds before us first with the exaltation as he enters into Jerusalem to the the acclaim of of everyone waving palms singing songs uh, and rejoicing that he has made it in to the city and it will end uh, on Friday as that same audience turns against him and so here we have uh, this opportunity to see the mystery of salvation unfold in front of us. And it's an opportunity for us to put ourselves into the story. The church gives us several opportunities to do this, starting tomorrow with with Palm Sunday, with the, the reading of the Passion Narrative, as we have this super long gospel, as the whole Passion Narrative is read to us. Uh, and, and we participate in this one as well, the the, the one of the only times of the year, this one and then also on Good Friday, where we actually participate in the reading, the proclamation of the gospel. And so uh, we we have this starting on, on Sunday and then on Thursday. Actually, my parish on Wednesday, they're doing a, um, uh, a penance service. And then Thursday, we have uh, we have. Monday, Thursday, Holy Thursday, where traditionally we have the washing of the feet. We tell the story of what happened at that Last Supper, uh, and then Good Friday, and then Holy Saturday with Easter Vigil, and then uh, Easter Sunday morning. And my family traditionally has gone to every single one of these liturgies because they're all different. They're telling a different part of the story, and there's richness that unfolds in each and every step. Uh, this year we're we're praying about and discerning whether or not we're going to do both Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday morning because we do realize that that there is still uh, where we are at least a, uh, a a percentage cap only a certain percentage of capacity can can come into the church so because the the um, uh, the obligation is met on, really, honestly, the obligation is still uh, dispensed where we are, but nonetheless, bear with me. Because, because the obligation is um, is fulfilled on Saturday night, we're thinking we might let someone else have our seat since we do take up a whole pew uh, on Sunday morning. But we're still going to go to the rest of them because we want to participate and enter as deeply as we can into this mystery of salvation that we who um, who acclaim him and who rejoice at his coming, we too, if we aren't careful, if we're not uh, if, if we're doing this for the wrong reasons or not really engaged appropriately, we too could switch just as quickly as the crowds did from being a Palm Sunday crowd to being a uh, a Good Friday crowd. 
So how do we, how do we avoid this? How do we um, receive the, the love of God in a, in a way that, uh, that maintains this relationship? And the answer is right there in that, to maintain the relationship that we start uh, our starting place in this Christian walk has to be with an encounter with a person of Jesus Christ. There's a, a book, if you've not read this, I highly uh, recommend it to you. And it's um, Sherry Waddell's work called Forming Intentional Disciples. This is a fantastic book that really unpacks what it means for us as the people of God to be missionary disciples. There are so many good things that you can do as a Christian, um, as, as a baptized believer who goes to Mass every single week. There's so many opportunities to live out the faith, uh, to volunteer, to, to be a catechist, to, uh, to be on finance council, to, to serve at a, at a shelter, to provide food for the hungry, uh, to work in the benevolence ministry that takes care of, uh, of giving out groceries to those who need it, to go and visit the poor in prison. There, there are all a, a huge number of opportunities for you to live out the faith in a profound way. In the same way, there's a, a whole list of things that you can do to have a meaningful Lent, right? You can um, you can spend extra time in prayer. You could pray an extra rosary every day. You can go and sit in adoration. You can go to Mass. All of these things are good. You can give more uh, money than normal. You can give to your Catholic charities, to the diocese, to your parish, to a person on the street. Any, any way that you want to do this, there are expressions of faith that you can engage in um, that, that are really the kinds of things that we're called to as Christians. But if you do these things without an encounter and an experience of the person of Jesus Christ and the deep love of God, then at the end of the day, you're not going to be fully fulfilled. You might have a little bit of a dopamine hit and a good feeling, um, but the end of the day is going to come and something is going to ring a little hollow. Something is going to feel a little stressed and strained and scraped thin. And she talks about this in her book of people who have been uh, engaged in ministry for, uh, for a great amount of time who have never had an encounter with the love of God. And she talks about how exhausting that is for an individual over time. That it's through the encounter of the person of Jesus Christ, through the infilling of his Holy Spirit, that we're empowered to do the, the works that he's called us to as Christians in a way that is life-giving instead of soul-sucking. And so here as we come to the end of Lent, and maybe this is something we should have talked about at the beginning of Lent, but as we come to the end of Lent and enter into this mysterious week, entering into the Paschal mystery, into the salvation history of the, uh, the passion and death and resurrection of our Lord, this is the opportunity for us to do a self-examination. Have we in this Lent come to an encounter of the deep love that God has for us? 
Maybe you have before in your history. Maybe you have uh, known that love of God and it has carried you through. But have you this time, this year, this Lent, this week, encountered the profound love that God has for you? If you've not, I want to invite you into a prayer that just asks, Lord God, reveal yourself to me. Just just that. Lord God, reveal yourself to me. Because there's so much in the world that is, uh, and in our daily lives, that is overwhelming. And we can do our best to, to buck up and put on a brave face and carry on and shoulder the, the burdens of, uh, of our daily existence, of those who are around us who need to be carried along as well as we're called to bear one another's burdens. There's so much that is heavy in this life, and it can just be exhausting. And maybe you find yourselves there. If not, I guarantee you that there's someone in your sphere, someone in your your network of relationships that's just absolutely at their wit's end and needs an encounter with the love and the tenderness of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to explore this question today with Rocio Hermes. She is a Catholic speaker. I found her on catholicspeakersofcolor.com, a website that a friend of mine put together. And it's just been a beautiful tool to find diverse perspectives. Rocio was born in the Dominican Republic. She was raised in New Jersey, spent time as a missionary in Ethiopia, and now lives in Germany. Uh, she's joining us today all the way uh, from, from Europe. She blogs at graceandmercyblog.com. And we're going to talk about your favorite topic, the love of God. Yes. The reason I want to talk about this is, is multifaceted. But one of, one of the reasons is we're coming up on Easter and you can't really understand Easter without understanding the fact that all that Christ went through in the Passion of Holy Week that we're coming up on right now, all of that was an outflow of his love for us. So all of the things that we do in terms of, of trying to pursue holiness have to be in response to that love. Uh, G.K. Chesterton <laughs> said, um, let your religion be less like a theory and more like a love affair. And, mm. and, and so this is what we are, as we're pursuing holiness, as we're pursuing the right thing to do, as we're uh, pursuing fasting and, and almsgiving and, and prayer, all of these things have to be a movement out of a response to the love of God. Uh, and so what I want to do, this is your favorite topic to talk about. I want to yes. <laughs> start by this. You can't really explain the love of God fully until you've experienced it personally. Mm. So mm -hmm. what I want to hear, just starting right out of the gate, when is the first mm -hmm. time you became aware, like physically mm -hmm. and, and mm -hmm. tangibly mm -hmm. aware, not just mm -hmm. being able to say God loves me, but to experience and to say, wow, God loves me. Tell us that story. Yes, I know exactly when that, when that was. So I think that's really, um, a beautiful thing to point out like that moment is is the source of everything so I think I was about 13 years old and just a quick backstory I was raised in a Catholic family went to Catholic school my whole life so I could tell you the theory 
right? Of like what it means, what is God's love, what is Trinity, all these things. But it wasn't until I was uh, 13 that I was invited on a retreat, a one-day retreat to New York City. So I was from New Jersey. We were invited to this big youth event in New York City. And I remember walking in to this huge um, uh, arena type of a, a place. I don't even remember where exactly it was now. And I was surrounded by young people who were really, really praying. They were praying and praising God in a way that I had never seen before. And in that moment, I said, okay, Lord, I want to know you in this way. And a few more retreats after that, I had that one experience where I remember just being in that room and it was like, if nobody else was there. And I just knew in the depths of my being that God existed, that he was real, that he knew my name and that he loved me. Mm-hmm. And, and I knew that in an instant. And, and again, it wasn't in my head anymore, but in my heart, in, in the inmost of of my being, I knew that I was known and that I was loved. And this changed everything. This changed everything. I, I didn't want to do anything else for the rest of my life except this mm-hmm. God thing. You know, I wanted to to give everything to the Lord. And, and it's kind moment. of it's kind of like the difference between studying all the steps and even working out the mechanism physically of a dance. Mm-hmm right? Mm-hmm. Putting those little feet on the floor and following along and saying, okay, counting in your head with the, with the yes. metronome and trying to figure out <clears throat> where do I go next in this dance? Um, the difference between having all of that technicality perfectly down mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then dancing with your beloved. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. an entirely different flow to it yes. be- because it's more than knowing where to go. It's following the person who's leading. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. And it's a freeing experience because up to that point, you know, I had been looking like I had this great desire for love in my heart from, you know, a very young age. And I was already starting to look for it in all these different places. My sister's two years older than me. So I was already going to the high school parties with her and all these different things. And in that moment, it was like none of that mattered. Mm-hmm. It, it didn't matter anymore what, what people thought. And of course, it's always a process and a purification from that first initial moment until the end of our lives. But in that moment, I realized I found I found it, you know, and more moreover, it was that God found me, you mm-hmm. know. And and so it's a freeing experience because, like you're saying, it's no longer like me forcing this or, or having to force the dance, but it's it's the Lord kind of sweeping us up off of our feet and and we know that that we're in good hands and so that's when that began for me now the the scripture says that the love of Christ impels us right mm-hmm. so now that we have received this love it takes us to different places and for you mm-hmm. uh, it, you said it changed the trajectory of your life you you you're yes. a student at the Augustine Institute working on a master's in theology Mm-hmm. You spent two years in Ethiopia as a missionary mm-hmm. uh, with the Catholic Church. You you yes. looked even at entering religious life uh, before yes. finally getting married. Congratulations! Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Thank you. And now, and now moving yet to another new location. Talk about yes. the the movement of love and how that affected these decisions moving forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was thinking about joining you for the, for this talk, I was 
just having in, in the back of my mind this quote from Galatians from St. Paul. It's Galatians 2.20, and I have it here, so I'll just read it briefly. Um, he said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live now in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And and that was, as you said, the love of Christ impels us. This was it for St. Paul. I know that he loves me and that he gave himself for me. And so I go wherever he calls me to go. And so that's it in a nutshell of how everything started from, from that first encounter. I had um, for, for a long time from when I was little been told, you're going to be a sister. You're going to be a sister. Jose is going to be a nun. My father's a deacon. Mm-hmm. So you can probably understand that, okay, here are the children of the deacon in church. <laughs> they have to come to church every Sunday. They pray the rosary. They're all going to enter a convent and be, um, my brother's a, um, I have a brother and everybody thought he was going to be a priest as well. So uh, there was all this backstory and baggage in a sense uh, until this encounter with Christ. So when I had that personal encounter I, I remember telling the Lord, I'll, I'll go the farthest place I could think of in my mind at that age was Africa, you know, like this whole romantic idea. I was like, Lord, I'll even go there yeah. to, to tell people of your love, like wherever you want me to go, but I'll never be a nun. And so, <laughs> so it's funny, but, but the deeper, the deeper that I discovered God's love for me. And as I grew older, the more I couldn't avoid these questions, right. Of, what if God is calling me to be a sister? What is the Lord asking me to do? I knew that that the only thing that, that I wanted to dedicate myself to uh, if I went to university was theology. So all, all these things were becoming clear. Um, and, and so it was a matter of, okay, Lord, what specifically are, are you calling me to do? So to the amount, the deeper I went into God's love, no longer could I say no to him, you know? And I the, the moment, um, TL, that I'll share with you, when everything kind of broke open and I was no longer putting limits on yeah. what I would do for God uh, was when I was a postulant in the Carmel of Brooklyn. That was the community that I had been discerning for years. And, and I entered uh, with the sisters, they're cloistered in Brooklyn. So it was really intense in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Right? But um, by the end of the postulancy year, when, you know, they were discerning me and I was discerning them, you know, if I continue into novitiate year and all these things, I had a moment, um, another, you know, specific tangible moment where I knew that I was God's daughter, not his slave, mm. and that he was giving me freedom to choose and that he trusted my choice. And in that moment, it was like, you know, when the Lord puts his finger on a wound, you didn't even know was there. Yeah. In that moment, the Lord put his finger right into that place in my heart where I distrusted him where I still wanted to have control, where I, I um, realized in, in a moment, I realized that my whole life up to that point, I had been receiving his love as conditional, as, you know, I'm pouring out all these graces on you, Rocio, so that you'll be a nun. Right. You know, like a, like a play, you know, kind of the way that we might do in relationships. I was projecting this onto God, but I, I, had no, I didn't realize that until that moment when I realized that I was truly free before God, that God was not imposing me um, to to be a nun that that was the only way that that I could um, make him happy or serve him. you know that all all of that was undone in a moment and then I said Lord all you, you can have it all you can have it all I know that that you see me that you know me you know my depths you you know my deepest desires and so in that moment I was fully free to um, 
discern out of the convent and realize, no, I still want to be married and, and have a family. And from that point forward, there was just, I, I don't know how to explain, you know, like when you're in Spanish, we say, te puedes lanzar. You can just throw yourself yeah. and you know, you're going to be held. And so, you know, little by little, a priest approached me. Uh, he was a missionary in Ethiopia. And he said, you know, Rocio, we need volunteers. Would you come for a month? I went for a month. A week into it, I knew I, I need to be here longer. The Lord is inviting me to be here longer. So, okay, Lord, I'm going to be here longer than the two-year visa, you know, and, and things right. like this. So it, it became not so much this forced, like, Lord, show me your will, and I'm going to do it because I'm strong enough to do that. But it became smooth. It became easy. You know how the Lord says, my, my burden is light. You know, my burden is light. And of course, it's difficult, difficult things. Like I miss my family and, you know, there were things that I was missing out on. So it wasn't easy in that sense, but but it was easy because the Lord was asking and the Lord was giving grace and the Lord was opening doors and the Lord was providing community. Um, so this this response was was just a deepening of, of my knowledge um, of who he is and that he's a good father and that I can trust him, you know, and that whatever the Lord asks me, even if I don't feel capable, he's there and he's good and he loves me. So, Rocio, um, you are not alone in this this feeling of that you had of, of mm-hmm. distrust that, oh, well, God's going to ask me to do something that's going to be really difficult or really painful for me. And mm-hmm. if I don't do it, then he's going to remove his graces from me. Yes. And so... Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For the person in that place, and, and of mm-hmm. course, there's only mm-hmm. something, this is something you can only experience, but but yeah. for the person in that place, what would you say to them that would um, maybe help them to that place of surrender, to that next step, mm-hmm. so that they can experience the, the, the truth and the fullness of God's love that is mm-hmm. not conditional based on whether mm-hmm. you're, you're, you're good or not or do the good thing enough. he wants or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I would I would say... Um, there's nothing that you could do that would make God love you more. You, you are already completely and entirely loved. And it's a matter of pressing into that identity as the beloved. How, how can I live my identity as God's beloved, as God's son or daughter in the here and now, in the here and now. And, and the Lord will slowly, you know, show you his will and, and your vocation, your response to that, is not you're you're going to still be loved deeply you're going to still be loved deeply you're going to still be loved deeply is what is what i would say and to just ask the lord say lord come come and get me come and show me you know because i think often we hear other people give their testimony and we think well that's for them you know like they had that experience but the lord doesn't see me you know and i think it's something that that i refer to sometimes in some talks as um an orphan mentality where, where we think that we're abandoned, that we're not remembered, that God doesn't know our name, you know, like he's blessing TL, but he's not going to bless me or he's going to give him that great experience, but he's not going to give it to me. And we, we need a break with that lie and we need to enter into to the inheritance that is already ours and say, Lord, I know that you love me. Can you show me, can you help me know it here in the depths of my heart? And that it's not based on, on, um, I don't earn it. But, but it's freely given to me. And I respond to that love. But, but in the first place, it's freely given. It's initiated on God's side. So I wonder if some of this, this idea that, well, God's blessing that person, but he's not blessing me, is coming from 
uh, a place, I think, within our culture that associates the blessings of God with, mm-hmm. with material means. Yes. That, oh, yeah. well, that person has material wealth. And, and of course, we see this mm-hmm. in the Old Testament, too, um, mm-hmm. where where it was believed that a, a person who was wealthy was blessed by God mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. therefore a person who was destitute by by extension would be the mm-hmm. opposite, would be mm-hmm. cursed by God. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I think we carry that into uh, to our understanding of things. Um, mm-hmm. But this, I think, skews our understanding because God's blessings are not, are, are not primarily material. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. what would you, mm-hmm. how, how would you explain blessings in a way that, that might bring clarification to that? Yes. I think that that's a, a huge point. And I think it has to do with this um, understanding, like you're saying of the prosperity gospel, mm-hmm. right. That's often preached, especially among our Protestant brothers and sisters. Um, and the first thing we have to do to yell and we're in Lent, right. Is just look at the cross, mm-hmm. right. This is the beloved this is the beloved son and and he was crucified but he was also um god's god's beloved you know and so for us as christians when we go through hardship and and suffering and difficult things or we pray for something and and we don't get it or or there's tons of things but yet when we look at the cross we realize i'm i'm not exempt from this as a christian you know and that the lord's blessing is our, our inheritance as Christians, our blessing is that his presence goes with us. His presence goes with us, whether we're in the desert, whether we're in the um, the marshlands of grace, or whether we're in the very, very dry places, or whether we're in the in-between, the Lord goes with us. His presence goes with us. Um, and and that's the, the blessing is the Lord. The blessing is the Lord. And, and I think um, St. Elizabeth of the Trinity, she has this beautiful quote, um, let me see if I get it exactly right, but it's to the effect that uh, he- I I have heaven because heaven is God and God is in my soul. Mm-hmm. So so we have the blessing because we have God. We have the Lord in the Eucharist. We have Him in His Word, and we have Him in our souls through baptism. So the blessing is ours. Yeah. It, it's with us, and and that is the blessing, the presence of God, union with Him. And so it's really a matter of um, I, th- I think when we begin with the Lord. There's this sense, and I and I remember, you know, after my conversion, where I would pray for things, and I would, you know, it would happen, and I was like, yes, you know, like the, it's about getting what we want, right? right? Like we ask the Lord, and it's not your will be done, but it's my will be done, and whenever it's not my will, it's like, Lord, that's questionable, you know, you could have done it my way, <laughs> right? And then there's a purification that happens, right? And sat the 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 news, the good news, bad news is like these trials. Are, are a blessing mm-hmm. because they purify us and they bring us closer to the core of what it is, right? So instead of following God for, for all the nice feelings or, or for the exterior things that, that we're getting, but, but beginning to, to go deeper and follow the Lord for who he is, yeah. for who he is, and, and that he is enough. Yeah. We're talking today with Rocio Hermes. She blogs over at graceandmercyblog.com. Go take a look at it. Uh, she's also available. She goes around and speaks. You can find out more about that over at catholicspeakersofcolor.com. Join the ongoing conversation over at facebook.com slash step outside the walls. On Twitter, the handle's at outside the walls. I want to hear what you think. And when we come back, we're going to talk about love, poetry, and God as Father. There's much more to come right after this. You're listening to Outside the Walls with TL.
Welcome back to Outside the Walls, where we explore the implications of our belief on our daily life. I'm your host, T.L. Putnam, and today we're talking with Rosia Hermes. Uh, she is newly married. She's a, a U- U.S.-raised Catholic speaker, born in the Dominican Republic, spent two years as a missionary in Ethiopia, now lives somewhere in Germany of an undisclosed <laughs> yeah. location. Um, my goodness. And your favorite topic is to talk about the love of God. Um, yes. But you also enjoy writing and poetry and performing mm-hmm. spoken word, which has this really creative yes. urge response to, I mean, when, when you think about love, you think about poetry. So it kind of makes sense. Um, you know, I think every person in their teenage years, and maybe maybe this is projection on my part, but it seems like every mm. person goes through this um, this fascination with poetry that might be brief mm-hmm. and and. And and gosh, we all write out our our favorite <laughs> our favorite words, and you look at it later, and you're like, "Wow, I was definitely a teenager." Um, it, it's another thing entirely for for someone to continue crafting words and to continue mm-hmm. playing with the rhythms uh, of of linguistics. And of course, for you, yeah. you've got it. You have multiple linguistics to to play with, right? So talk a little bit, if you are comfortable with it, about about your poetry and about uh, Mm -hmm. maybe tie Mm -hmm. that into this question of of how we respond to to the love of God, both in the receiving and in the giving, because that's Mm -hmm. the movement and Mm -hmm. the motion of this love. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Yes. So for me. Just like like you said, it started before my teenage years, but I don't know, maybe nine or ten that I started to write. And when you look back, you're like, oh, my goodness, what was I writing about? <laughs> but that's when it started. That's when it, for me, it was always a form of getting out, you know, my confusion, my feelings, all these things. Um, and then, you know, paired with journaling once I had my my conversion and I started to pray more. Journaling for me was a way of prayer. So addressing my, my words to the Lord. And so eventually that has also um, transformed my poetry. So sometimes it's storytelling, you know, another person's story or my own story. Um, but then often it's this kind of conversation with the Lord, you know, whether I don't understand something or whether it's uh, a poem in Thanksgiving or whether it's a poem of a journey, you know, to, to encountering the Lord. So um, it's, it's become a response in, in the sense that um, it's, I know it's a gift that, that has been given. And so I could be using it or writing about different things, but really then I'm just like, yeah, but if somebody reads my words, I, I really just want them to be turned somehow, you know, even if indirectly towards the Lord or just deeper questions in, in life, like who am I and, and why do I exist? And why am I here on this earth? I think getting people to think, those questions um, is part of my response to to the Lord's love for me. Um, yeah, so well, I and, love poetry and I love and and meter and and mm-hmm. the way that that words are put together um, mm-hmm. in poetry as opposed to just in prose. It's mm-hmm. easier to grasp and it's easier to, to to lay hold of and and to remember. Right. Mm-hmm. There's something yeah. about poetry that's almost catechetical in its mm-hmm. rhythms and in its echo. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, my one of my favorite poems is um, the one that was in the 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 breviary of Saint Teresa mm-hmm. of Avila, 
the the let nothing disturb you, let nothing yeah. affright you. All yeah. things are passing. God is unchanging. Patience yeah. obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone mm-hmm. suffices. And as I look at this poem, uh, one of the questions I have is, mm-hmm. who, is she is she telling me that or is she telling herself that? Mm-hmm. Is she mm-hmm. using this this poetry as a reminder yeah. and as a as a kind of a breathing, a breathing in and a breathing mm-hmm. out of, mm-hmm. of God's sufficiency. Mm-hmm. I think it's often, well, I don't want to speak on behalf of St. Teresa of Avila, <laughs> but, but for me, I will say it's often in the end, right? Like after I finish writing, it's often for me more, more than anybody else in the end, you know, um, or, or months later, I'll look through and, and find a poem that, Sometimes I forget I wrote it because it's just speaking to me in this particular moment um, in a way that I didn't anticipate when I wrote it. Um, so I think that, yes, it's a reminder. It, in some ways, this is the way that God speaks to us. He takes things mm-hmm. that we we wouldn't expect and that we're yeah. not on our guard against mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to be able to to receive. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That when when we're looking through our own book of of journaling or of of poetry mm-hmm. or of any kind of expression, mm-hmm. we're not on our guard against ourselves, right? We don't have that, that immediate thing. And so something that might just be a fleeting thought in your head that pops in yes, mm-hmm. that you, that you note and you pay attention to, um, that could be something that's important to really mm-hmm. hold on to, write it down, put it mm-hmm. down, come back and visit yep. it in a month and see if there's something that God is trying to work out in you. I agree. And Tia, if you want, I do have one here that I could share with you Please. if you'd like. But I won't give you like the full spoken <laughs> word. <laughs> but here it goes. Gentle eyes. They look intently on when I would wish for them to look elsewhere, to forget that I am here, to not notice what I have become. Yet here I am met with them. What is your perception of me? I find myself wondering again. I look downward at my feet, hoping to pass the time somewhat quickly, as I don't have anything to say. Do you love me? The question slips from my lips before I could even stop, the trembling voice which escaped me. You hold me here with your gaze. You're not afraid to love me. Silently retracing truth over my heart, humbly confessing your love for me, on the cross, at the table and in the stable, in the womb and in the tomb, in the glorious resurrecting of a life given up in love, having suffered to let me know that you are not afraid to love me through anything. Gently, you remind me. You are here. You see me. You are good. Jesus, gentle and strong, even when I forget who you are, you remember me. There, all throughout the Gospels, you'll see, um, depending on the translation, that and Jesus looked at them, or and Jesus gazed, or you know whatever the the word is, um, talking about Matthew, talking about uh, when when he looked on him in love and mm-hmm. and called him. You see this um, just multi- multiple multiple times mm-hmm. in Scripture. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, for for God who is love, for the incarnation of God who is love, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
it's impossible for him to look on us in any other way. But for the, mm-hmm. the scriptures to the, and the, the, the gospel writers to take the time to say, Jesus looked on him and love. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jesus looked on the crowds and had compassion. Yes. Um, there's something worth noting that this is not just mm-hmm. some rigid system or something that we're, we're, we're doing to be better people. Right, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Jesus looks on us in love, and He calls us, and yes. our response, like Peter, you know, Matthew left everything behind, followed mm-hmm. him. Peter said, uh, "Lord, we've left, we've left everything to mm-hmm. follow you." Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. This is always and must be in response mm-hmm. to that that gentle and tender gaze mm-hmm. of God yes. looking on us in love. Um, mm-hmm. And I th- we talk about love, but I also want to touch on the tenderness of God, because mm-hmm. we have some examples of what the world would would put out as love mm-hmm. that are uh, that are violent loves or that are mm-hmm. intense and mm-hmm. and um, passionate loves in a way that just uh, uses all of the force of of that person's mm-hmm. uh, ability. Mm-hmm. But God loves us and tenderness. And you mentioned that some mm-hmm. in your experience, mm-hmm. Rocio, mm-hmm. of um, mm-hmm. that you had an, an expectation that God was going to direct you in a certain way. And when he, when he finally came to you and he finally brought out the fact that there was uh, an, an mm-hmm. issue of trust between yes. you and him, he mm-hmm. did so mm-hmm. in a way that was, was tender and, yes. and, mm-hmm. and kind. So talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how you've experienced that and how others might come to that same experience. Um, yes, I've, I've experienced it, I think, especially in these moments of consolation, right, Through, throughout my life where um, I was going through a difficult time and um, the Lord, you know, through prayer, I, I just had that sense, right, that the Lord was looking at me or, or that I was held or that um, I'm his daughter and I don't have anything to fear. So reminding ourselves of scripture in a, in, is a very important way of um, experiencing the Lord's consolation and his tenderness. Um, so that has been present throughout my life. But I think one, one thing I would say and invite all, also other the listeners to, to think about is those moments in our life when we were, like you were saying, corrected um, by the Lord and we realized he didn't correct us in the way we would have done it, right? Like when we see somebody doing something wrong, we want to call it out right in that moment. Like, listen, you need to stop what you're doing. Get yourself together. <laughs> but then, but then that's not how the Lord does it, right? Like the Lord brings us on this journey. Like if we look back to the first time that we decided, right, to follow the Lord, imagine if the Lord in that moment would have like bombarded us with all of the things we were doing wrong and needed to change in that moment. Yep. Like you're doing this, you need to change all of this. Your right list now. is much shorter than my list would have been. <laughs> I would have been saying that da, 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 for a lot longer. <laughs> exactly. Well, there you go. You know, <laughs> and and then we realize that the Lord is not like that, right? That He, that His love towards us is an all-consuming love, like like the Word of God says. Yes, in the sense that it encompasses everything about us. That there's there's no part of my history or my life that the Lord's love doesn't want to reach. He wants to reach all of it. But but this love comes in a in a way that is that I can receive it. 
you know, like it, it comes in a way where this moment in my life, I can receive what the Lord is saying to me. I can receive his correction. I can receive um, his, his gentle guidance, you know, showing me, listen, you, you were going the wrong way there. You need to turn back around and, and come this way. And I think sometimes um, what, what happens is we project onto the Lord the way that maybe our parents corrected us, right? Like maybe our parents corrected us with, you know, sandals across the room (laughs) (laughs) or I don't know, whatever other kinds of examples. Um, I think in, for, in my dad's generation, like his parents to him, I think they had to kneel on rice when they were in trouble. Really intense. My dad, luckily is a very gentle and kind man, but that was very intense. (laughs) punishment but if if we think of maybe our childhood experiences with correction with with our perception of love we may start to see that maybe i'm projecting this misunderstanding onto god's love for me right and that if god loves me then he can at the same time you know be kind and tender and merciful but also correct me no it 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 does not fit into one being you know how can god be gentle and kind but also you know, demand things of me and say, like, you need to keep my commandments to abide in my love. Like, how can how can this all be reconciled? Because maybe our our father figures or mother figures, you know, didn't present uh, an image of love that is both tender and kind and, and tender and correction as well. Um, and so it's a matter of allowing the Lord and inviting the Lord in to to be purified of those misconceptions and say, okay, Lord, show me your tenderness. And and maybe for women, TL, maybe this is a point where you can come in. Maybe for women, it's easier mm-hmm. to understand that, that love, you know, can be tender and that God's love for us is tender. Maybe this word is even off-putting for a man. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, and so maybe just asking the Lord to come into that, like, why, why is it that maybe I want to reject that or, or shun that? Like, I want you to be strict with me, God. And I want you to, you know, um, be rigorous, you know, because some, there, there are some people like that, that, that I have met in, in the Christian journey and they struggle with receiving God's tenderness. They struggle with receiving that, that he's gentle towards them. And, and because they, they prefer this, what they're used to, you know, the, right. the rigid, you know, Correct me in a very, you know, mm-hmm. mean way and let's get on with it. Sort of thing. <laughs> well, and, and, and I would say that um, the words are a very funny thing, right? So getting back to what you're talking about, um, f- the idea of God as father, we, we tend to think of, of father in a very specific way and we've got a context for that. And that context is defined by our own father. So we Mm -hmm. tend to think that God is a father like Mm -hmm. my father is a father, rather than Scripture says that all fatherhood derives its name from God, that that rather my father is a father in some shadow of the way that God Mm -hmm. is father, that that God Mm -hmm. is the standard of it. Mm-hmm. And, and and I think we have our standards are of understanding for tenderness and for all of these other words as well, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to the point that maybe men would think, well, I don't really need or want tenderness. Yes. And and been, being on this side of it, I would I would have to say that I might have thought that too until I encountered the tenderness of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Right, that there's something in that encounter that God just gave it to me straight, but what I really did need was... Mm-hmm for him to do what he does and to yes. be consistently tender, mm-hmm. no less, no less convicting. Right. But mm-hmm. there's something mm-hmm. about the, the compunction and the conviction of the Holy spirit that mm-hmm. is still tender. 
that it, yeah. I, yeah. you know, you, you can feel that not the finger in the face, but as you said earlier, that, that finger on the wound mm -hmm. in, in mm -hmm. a healing mm -hmm. way and not a, not a, a vindictive yes. way. Yes. Yes. It's like, Oh, Oh, wow. I did have something right there. I didn't know mm -hmm. I was wounded there or mm -hmm. sore there, but mm -hmm. wow. With this, mm -hmm. with this movement of the spirit, I, yeah, there it is. And I think a place for me that I've especially had those moments um, has been in the sacrament of confession where, mm. you know, I remember moments where I was so, you know, I, there was this one particular retreat back when I was in high school and I was sitting there and I was like, nope, I'm not going to go to confession. I'm not going to confess this sin. Nope, 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 <laughs> nope, nope, nope. And then I mustered up enough courage to go to confession. And right there, they made an announcement saying, okay, confessions are closed for today. Did, um, you know, everybody wait until tomorrow. And I remember kneeling back down and I was like, Lord, if I don't go right this second, I'm not going to confess this sin. Like, I'm, I'm not going to have the strength to do it another time. And sure enough, a lady came back onto the microphone and said, you know, someone must be praying because they just decided we're going to open the confessions up again and, and just keep it going. So you're free to go to confession. So in that moment, I couldn't be like, okay, I'm not going to go. I had to say, okay, I'm going to go. And I remember going into the confession, just holding my fear in my hands. You know, I was, I was trembling. I, I was really so ashamed and thinking I'm going to you know, what is this priest going to think of me and all these things. And in that confessional and, and in that confessional room, the priest looking at me face to face, going back to the gaze, I was met with this gaze of mercy of Christ through the priest, you know, that surprised me that I was expecting the finger in the face, like you're saying, but instead I was met with an understanding heart, a compassionate heart or a face of, of the father's heart. So definitely um, the sacrament of confession for me has been this place of encounter with God's tenderness and his mercy. Rocio Hermes blogs over at graceandmercyblog.com and is also a Catholic speaker. Find her over at catholicspeakersofcolor.com. Rocio, thank you so much for joining us on air today. Yes, thank you so much for having me. If you missed any part of the show, you want to go back and listen to it again or share it with your friends over on social media, have no fear. All of our episodes are archived over at OutsideTheWalls.com. And as always, there's more to my conversation with Rocio than we had the time to put on air today. But that's available to all those who support the show through Patreon. Our Patreon support community helps keep us on the air and bring quality content week in and week out. And as a thank you, they get a little bit of extra content on the side. To learn more, go to OutsideTheWalls.com and click the Patreon Support the Show link in the top right-hand corner of the page. Now let's turn our attention to our reading from Scripture and from church history. That's the sound of the Verbum Library launching up. Verbum helps you study Scripture in light of the church's tradition. Go to Verbum.com to learn more. Today's reading from Scripture comes from Psalm 118, and for me... This is one of those times, I don't know if it was the first time that I encountered the love of God, but it was a time that I was dealing with trust, and I was really quite concerned about something, and, and this verse brought me quite a bit of consolation in that time, uh, the, one of the verses in the midst of this chapter. Uh, and so I, I keep coming back to this whenever I think of the love of God, perhaps because it mentions the love of God so often but also perhaps because of my early encounter with finding God's strength in the midst of a difficult situation. So this is Psalm 118. 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. Let Israel say, His mercy endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say, His mercy endures forever. Let those who fear the Lord say, His mercy endures forever. In danger I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is with me. I am not afraid. What can mortals do against me? The Lord is with me as my helper. I shall look in triumph on my foes. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to put one's trust in mortals. Better to take refuge in the Lord than to put one's trust in princes. All the nations surrounded me. In the Lord's name, I cut them off. They surrounded me on every side. In the Lord's name, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They burned up like a fire among thorns. In the Lord's name, I cut them off. I was hard-pressed and falling, but the Lord came to my help. The Lord, my strength and might, has become my Savior. The joyful shout of deliverance is heard in the tents of of the righteous. The Lord's right hand works valiantly. The Lord's right hand is raised. The Lord's right hand works valiantly. I shall not die, but live, and declare the deeds of the Lord. The Lord chastised me harshly, but did not hand me over to death. Open the gates of righteousness, and I will enter and thank the Lord. This is the Lord's own gate. Through it, the righteous enter. I thank you, for you answered me. You have been my Savior. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. By the Lord has this been done. It is wonderful in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice in it and be glad. Lord, grant salvation. Lord, grant good fortune. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We will bless you from the house of the Lord. The Lord is God and has enlightened us. Join in procession with leafy branches up to the horns of the altar. You are my God. I give you thanks. My God, I offer you praise. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His mercy endures forever. That reading comes from Psalm 118, and if you caught it right there at the end, there is an allusion, a pretty clear allusion, uh, to what we witnessed on Palm Sunday, which we celebrate tomorrow, as Christ enters in and the procession with leafy branches goes before him, crying out, "Ah, yeah, you heard it, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You and I, like them, recognize our need for salvation. We recognize that there are things that are unjust. There are things that are not right with the world, and there are things that are not right with us. And we call out, and we cry for redemption. And perhaps, like they did, we might feel that it's a long time coming. We might not understand the ways of the Lord, as Isaiah says in Isaiah 55, Uh, For God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. The things that we expect God to do, it may not be the way that God does it, but in the end, this is true and will remain true forever, that the Lord is gentle and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in love, 
Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Our reading from Church History Today comes from a dialogue on divine providence by St. Catherine of Siena, and she explains this uh, this mystical vision she had, this message that re- she received surrounding the love of God. And so it seemed applicable and appropriate for us to talk about it today. The Eternal Father, indescribably kind and tender, turned his eye to this soul and spoke to her thus, O dearest daughter, I have determined to show my mercy and loving kindness to the world, and I chose to provide for mankind all that is good. But man, ignorant, turns into a death-giving thing, what I gave in order to give him life. Not only ignorant, but cruel, cruel to himself. But still I go on providing. For this reason I want you to know, whatever I give to man, I do it out of my great providence. So it was, when by my providence I created man, I looked into myself and fell in love with the beauty of the creature I had made. For it had pleased me in my providence to create man in my own image and likeness. Moreover, I gave man memory to be able to remember the good things I had done for him and to be able to share in my own power the power of the Eternal Father. Moreover, I gave man intellect so that seeing the wisdom of my Son, he could recognize and understand my own will. For I am the giver of all graces, and I give them with a burning fatherly love. Moreover, I gave man the desire to love, sharing in the tenderness of the Holy Spirit, so that he might love the things that his intellect had understood and seen. But my kind providence did all this solely that man might be able to understand me and enjoy me, rejoicing in my vision for all eternity. And as I have told you elsewhere, the disobedience of your first parent Adam closed heaven to you. And from that disobedience came all evil through the whole world. To relieve man of the death that his own disobedience had brought, I tenderly and providently gave you my only begotten Son to heal you and bring satisfaction for your needs. I gave him the task of being supremely obedient to free the human race of the poison that your parents, your first parents' disobedience had spread throughout the world. Falling in love, as it were, With his task, and truly obedient, he hurried to a shameful death on the Most Holy Cross. By his Most Holy Death, he gave you life, not human life this time, but with the strength of his divinity. That reading comes from a dialogue on divine providence by St. Catherine of Siena. And that's all the time we have for today, but what else could we say to unpack that further? God loves you. Today's show is brought to you by Brandy Carey and all of those who support the show through Patreon. Learn more by going to OutsideTheWalls.com, clicking the Patreon link. Until next week, let nothing disturb you. Let nothing affright you. All things are passing, but God is unchanging. Patience obtains all things. Who has God lacks nothing. God alone suffices.